Now I just realized. Okay. Got the other one on though. So. <laughs> so if you're just joining us on the recorder, you missed the intro and the reading of the first ten verses. Sorry about that. But uh, if you want the rest of the story and the very first part of that, it, you can go on to YouTube and uh, look that one up. Second Samuel chapter one, a national war song for the death of a king. Haven't got to the war song yet. That's going to start at verse 17. But here what we have going is that um, there has been a defeat of the Malachites and the recovery of you know the family, the possessions. You remember that? He's at Ziklag, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, David has quite a concern for what has happened because he and his men were going to be in the... Um, Philistine, kind of joining the Philistine army and to fight against the Israelites. Fortunately, that didn't happen, but as they were at the rear, they could tell that there's a lot of soldiers here because <laughs> that, that parade of men, of the Philistines, was incredible. They mounted them all up together and they went up uh, north there to Israel. And he is greatly concerned for Saul, for Jonathan, for all of the Israelites. And as probably as 600 men that he has, the same thing. But during the pursuit of the, uh, the Amalekite raiding, which, which happened before, it's now been, this is like the third day since they've been back at the Ziklag. Since they've you know, brought the women, the children back there, all the families are there. And, and now... He's back there wondering how it's going. And you know that the anxiety has to be high. (laughs) What's going to happen to our country? What's going on? You know, 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 so it, oh, my battery is running low. So I'm going to go over here. This has happened before. I can tell you why. There is a junction box back there that has to be turned on. And I had it turned off from Sunday. I did that, and I didn't turn it on. So now we have more than 10% of the battery. That could have gone out. What a disaster that would have been. Not really. (laughs) But, okay, uh, a man from Saul's camp appears there. He's out of breath. He's been running, you know, actually for 100 miles. I would say he's probably not been running 100 miles all the way. But I'm sure that he's been... um, Hot-footing it for quite a while, though. Uh, several days. 100 miles to reach David. That's funny. That's exactly where he knows to go. Ziklag. Isn't that interesting? I'm sure that he knew something about Ziklag. Don't, don't you think so? Probably one of the raiders. He probably could have been helping them, couldn't he have? I mean, part, just a part of them, right? I mean, he's, a, he's an Amalekite. Uh-huh. He just happened to know where they were. And he doesn't get demolished like the rest of them did. So, he comes up to David, he approaches him, prostrates himself, falls on the ground, and it's like he's worshiping him. It's like he's uh, in the presence of majesty. Well, David isn't king yet. Soon will be. Amalekite must know that. He must have a little bit of sense of how Saul had pursued David and so therefore, there must be enemies, right? Maybe he's thinking all of that. Seems like that that would be rational. Uh, David immediately begins to question him. Well, yeah, 
It's like, where'd you come from? What, what are you doing? What, what's happening? What, tell me. Uh, I, I would imagine David is probably assuming the worst. I'm sure he's had this sickening feeling in his stomach. Uh, the man has news about Saul. David is really unwilling to accept this man's report without some kind of verification. You know, how can we really know? How do you know Saul and Jonathan are dead? You know, that's basically what, what he's saying. And, and uh, how do you know they were slain? So here's where the Amalekite brings in his story. And he seems to be really eager to tell David. Although David is, you know, come on, tell me, come on, come on with it. And when you expect, and we all said this last week, I think it only makes sense, that he's expecting a pretty good reward out of this. There's, there's who's going to be the king. Who knows, maybe you'll get a position. Or at least some kind of great reward out of this. So, uh, and, you know, this Amalekite, uh, I don't think this is any coincidence if, when, he mention, when they mention Amalekite. He thinks he's doing David a favor, but he's an Amalekite, and this is, um, these are the Amalekites that should have been killed by Saul. 1 Samuel 15. You guys remember that? God told him to tell, kill how many of them? All of them. Every last one. He didn't do that. So there's one thing about the Malachites. And then you have the Malachite raiders who had just been into Ziklag. David and his men and their families lived there. And of course, whenever David and his men left, then the raiders came, which were the Malachites. So here we have this. David winds up and him and his men slaughtering the Malachites. They Some young men got away on camels. But as a rule, they killed them all. They, they got the Amalekites. That's what the idea was of David, at least the ones that were there. So he knows all about what God thinks of the Amalekites. He knows what he thinks of the Amalekites. This man is just proudly admitting that he killed Saul, God's anointed. And if you would have told the other 600 men without telling David... They would probably say, shh, don't tell David. Oh, this is the this is the last thing you'd ever want to tell David. And you would think, humanly, that he would be shouting from the rooftops, Great, it's finally over. Far from the truth. He had many chances to do it himself. Sure did. Easy chances. Gives us a character of David, though, doesn't it? Well, it does. So, there's part one. Uh, 11 through 16. Vel, could you, could you do that one for us? It says, <clears throat> Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the armies of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why are you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. 
For David had said to him, Your blood on your own head, your own mouth testifies against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Well, it seems that David takes his word, what he said. Whatever he did, it doesn't matter. The thing is, is the man does something here that is not good, and he's on the wrong side anyway. Um, for David, this is all bad news. It, he's grief-stricken, and Israel has been defeated. Death of Saul, death of Jonathan. Uh, and we know in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to mourn. This was a time to mourn. They, they did that at Ziklag not too many days before this. And here they are now. Boy, yeah. This is, I mean, this, uh, can you imagine the feeling that all of them had, you know, about all of this? And I think the men at one time would have thought, great. (laughs) But at the same time, they know what David feels about this. (laughs) No doubt about it. Um, and so they wouldn't even kill Saul if they would have had the opportunity knowing what David has shown them. Uh, so nobody of them would have killed him. And, you know, I guess you could say uh, they're not rejoicing, at least not while David's around. That's what kind of respect that I think that he's gotten from them and... and we see why you know he keeps seeing that saying that God appointed him and anointed him. He is the one until God seems fit, sees fit to make changes. So anyway, this is an outrage to David. This is the news that he hears, and even if the young man did not kill him, he he's as far as David is concerned. He's, he's, that's right. He's good as guilty. And he's going to be good as dead. And I think David is reading into a little bit of this that's probably true. You know, he's seen some things that it's probably not adding up. But the thing is, um, how many times, as, as you said there, Penny, has David refused to kill Saul when he had perfect opportunities. Well, and when he says, when he makes a statement about the death of this young fellow, he said, um, for your mouth has testified against you. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. (laughs) And that is exactly what we're looking at here. We'd say, well, David believed a lie. Well, uh, what what the man is saying is absolutely irrelevant. Yeah. David questions the Amalekite again. Now, he hears the story. It's shocking, but I'm sure he's not really surprised. He goes off in grief, and as he's grieving, he's got to be thinking, wait a minute, this this young man, he, he said he's an Amalekite. You know, not that he didn't really, but now it's really clicking, wait a minute, something's really funny here. He's not Malachi. Here he comes here and David would refuse anybody to kill Saul. But this man says he killed Saul 
And he is really excited about it. He did not like the attitude of the way he even said it. And I'm not saying that David knew he was lying. But he did not like the attitude of this man coming up there like he did. And then, you know, it seems like, you know, he's rejoicing that Saul is dead. And hey, aren't you glad, David? You know, hey, oh, buddy, you know, almost in that way. Yeah. And that's another disrespect. Even if he was a liar or whatever else like that, there's a reason. I mean, there's a lot of reasons like he needs to go down to be showed a lot of things. Well, if Saul would have done what he was supposed to have done, that young man wouldn't have been there anyway. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He could have brought him back to David. And he would never have been killed like he was if he would have only been obedient from the very outset. Things would have been different. What is? So, David always has said the Lord's anointed, you know, Samuel 24, Samuel 26, that, that whole section. <coughs> and this Amalekite here is speaking openly. And he, he's the enemy. <laughs> These are the he's from the same group of guys that they just killed, yeah. and he's bragging about killing Saul. There's no sense of hesitating here whatsoever. Just blast it out, and he takes it lightly about the death of Saul, regardless of what we think of Saul. Still, yet that should not be taken lightly at all and and of course you know this means you know Jonathan and David's dearest friend i mean he had no friend like Jonathan and they were covenant matter of fact there was uh, an even tighter love between him and Jonathan than even he and his wives and we're not talking homosexual love we're talking about real god love you know the agape love like, what love really is. What is it, phileo? Uh, phileo is brotherly love. And uh, they def- he definitely has that. And it goes, it's a covenant love that they have, which, is, um, uh, which extends into the agape love. And of course, that's what Christians are to have, you know, and, and being willing to forgive no matter what and no matter when. But uh, when the Amalekite messenger says what that he says, when he said it all, David has heard enough. You know, he thinks about he he grieves and as he thinks about it a little bit more, it comes back. And of course, it's interesting. The uh, the man says that uh, well, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. That doesn't fail him out either. What good does that do? You know, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, so it does seem like David's response after questioning him. Where are you from? Yeah, wait, wait, can you? And you weren't, you weren't afraid to kill the Lord's anointed? I escaped from the camp. No, I did it. Yeah. Kill this guy. (laughs) Sway goes down. Wait, wait, wait. wait. (laughs) I lied. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure and he's probably saying that as they're going over there. <laughs> well, this man killed the Lord's anointed, and he's an Amalekite. 
Amalekites have no business of killing the king of Israel, do they? Even though, like you say, the Amalekite probably would have, he wouldn't have even been around, would he have, had that been taken care of. It is ironic that involved in Saul's death, in, the, in this story, is an Amalekite right there. That's interesting. So now we go into this song. Well, doesn't God often do that? Though I mean, if you look at the story of Esther, the the Haman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing was. I mean, old. God keeps doing that. If mm-hmm. if you plan something evil against someone, you end up. In the, That's what happens. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it stands to reason then that God would use an Amalekite to kill Saul. So there we go. Yeah. That's God's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I go into this lament. It's a song. Um, song of the Bow, it is called. And uh, it's interesting, they're kind of, I, I believe, really, what we see here is David pledging an honor in this song, and he wants everybody to know this song for generations. It's not just him. And he's 600 men or the people of Israel that was right there to hear that song and to know it. It's to go to the, to the, uh, the Judeans, the people of Judah, and even further. And not for that generation only, but I think it is to spread out. And for them to remember, well, here it is today. Uh, 3,000 years later, and the song is here <coughs> that we read. So... <coughs> I'm getting ready to cough a bunch. Uh, Avel, could you uh, take us uh, through this song? It says on 17, David took up the lament concerning Saul and Jonathan the son and ordered that the men of Judea be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jeshar. Jeshar? Your glory, O Israel, lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not to the streets of Ashkelon. Bless the daughters of the Philistines be glad. Bless the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. O mountains of Gibeah, may you have neither dew nor rain nor fields that yield offers of grain. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, and the shield of Saul no longer rumbled with oil, rubbed with oil. For the blood of the slain, for the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved, and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you with scarlet finery, who adored your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. 
the grave of you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than of a woman. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. What a what a psalm. This is like just like the psalm. David was quite a writer, wasn't he? Boy, was he talented. He was a he's a musician. He was a writer, a king, a warrior, and many other things. He'd been a shepherd. He knew how to deal with people. Now he's a really cool statue. Yeah, is he? Statue of David? Well, of course. A novel? <laughs> I don't think I've seen it. Have you never <laughs> seen it? Uh-uh. Well, I've never seen it. Uh-huh. I've seen pictures of it. Oh, uh, well, I didn't even know there was one. <laughs> now, now we know. Now, now I know, apparently. Everybody else knew. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to be old. If we were around at that time. <laughs> These statues, I'm sure, are pretty old. <laughs> Michelangelo? Oh, yeah. You, if you saw it, you'd say, I've seen that before. You look like you're Jewish. I Jewish. look. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You do. <laughs> People mistake me for Middle Eastern. Yeah. Often. I, I can I, see that. I, I, would, I can I'm see that. This close to getting a turban. No. I, I'm really, oh, I like no turbans. Turbans are, oh, turbans. turbans are cool. I like them. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Hey, a turban is a culture thing. They're everywhere. Doesn't necessarily mean that you are Muslim. For the Jews, like a Hamaka? Yamaka. I don't like those. By the way, did you guys notice a while ago it was dark? And just all of a sudden, when we got into this song, the sun came out. And melted all the snow. And the snow is all... Isn't that a weird thing that happened today? I I drove to the building for a few minutes. Within a few minutes, I saw snow, rain, and then something that was a little bit icy, and that is called... Hail. Well, it wasn't hail. Sleet. Sleet. Oh, wow. So snow, sleet, rain... And all within, just within those few minutes, the sun came out. Mm. There's the sun yeah. again. And you look out there, and it snowed for hours, and then you look out there, and there's no snow on the ground. <laughs> Nothing on the roofs. Don't just you really, oh, this is Missouri. <laughs> this is a picture of Missouri in one day. And it can happen like that. This is the yeah. Lord at work for whatever reason. <laughs> That's right. Well, the sun comes in. I was going to say it was really funny because there was enough snow on the grass that when the FedEx guy came, there was actually footprints. Tracks. And as I was leaving tonight, the sun was all like this, and I took a picture because there's no snow out there and the grass just looks all like I want to say your dad's lawn is well insulated because that was the only lawn that had snow on it. Hmm. When I came, when I came home. I wonder what's going on there. All the snow had melted and all of the... Yeah. And your dad's was covered with Still there. Yeah. That'd be interesting when you go back to see if it is still there. Hmm. Yeah. That was okay. a huge tree, though, that 
bell across Main Street by break time. Oh, oh my. And, well, West School's this way, but you turn the corner yeah. the other way toward town, because yeah. I was going to the old building over there, and uh, didn't get very far off of Boonville Main Street, and there was a huge, I, I don't know, fir tree maybe? It's, it was huge, though. There's a it, lot of huge trees in that area. It, it went over probably two-thirds of the way across the street. You just kind of had to go around and hope somebody wasn't coming this way, because you couldn't see on the other side oh. of it. Oh, right. So it's one of those evergreen trees? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy day. Crazy day. It wasn't windy. Can't wait windy. to see what tomorrow's yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad it's windy day. Every day is different. Okay, well that's pretty cool. Birds flying through the snowflakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, we got a song to sing. It's actually a dirge is what it is, but... Says David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, and you'll notice uh, Jonathan is mentioned quite a bit in here. Uh, and he, matter of fact, he closes it even with Jonathan, his covenant friend that he has, so close to him, um, and he's instructing this song to them. Um, he, he teaches them, and it's for generations to come, and they'll. They'll sing it to their sons and daughters and on and on. So here we are. Now, we need to grasp the significance of this song. That's what David is trying to do for the people. It's a great teaching tool. Um, those who rise to, I guess you could say, the top position of power in a nation, they normally will take all kinds of precautions about who was before them. And in those days, some nations, some kings would get rid of the whole families because they didn't want to see anybody come up after them that was related before them. It might even be their own kin. But And we even see that in, in our Bibles. <laughs> and so... Um, He's preventing, a lot of people would be preventing rivals of taking their position, that place of power. And here, what we see is David giving great honor to this position. And this man Saul, this one who was king. And it is interesting. Um, he says that he told them to teach the sons of Judah, verse 18, the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, I know what you're thinking. Where's the book of Jasher? Can we go to Alpha and Omega and pick that book up? Alpha and Omega, it's not here anymore, so I can't. Well, you know, and you've heard of other books like that. This is in, you know, the Book of Enoch, for instance. And people will, you know, try to go pick that book up. Well, people have kind of added to what they probably thought that was. And, you know, hey, here's the Book of Enoch. Um, and we had people come into the store all the time and ask about those books. And, and you know, But it, this is historical, it's true. It's written in the Bible. There was a book of Joshua. And if you turn to Joshua chapter 10, you'll see a little bit of an excerpt that was in the book of Joshua. Uh, you know, I call it Jasher. But, you know, 
in in the Hebrew, when you see a J, it's usually Yah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So is it possible this is Yasher? I'll try that. I used to always call that Jasher, but um, what did I say? Uh, Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. And you will remember this. This is one that is uh, quite the miracle that God pulled off in a big battle. Uh, Five kings were attacking Gibeon. And in verse uh, 12, it says, O sun, stand still at Gibeon. And O moon in the valley of Ahilon, as the sun stood still and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. And then it says, Is it not written in the book of Yasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So they were able to keep the, the light of you know there to continue in their battle to win. Right? That's or that's what they did. And so we have uh, Yasher, which means upright. And it could be the same book that's called also the War of the Lord, Wars of the Lord, that's found in Numbers 21, 14. And so we see it mentioned in 2 Samuel, and we also see it in Joshua. No doubt it definitely existed. And it was probably a compilation of songs that honored the battles of uh, Israeli's leaders and all their exploits in the wars that they were involved with. So it's really songs committed to be honoring the people who died, and especially the leaders, commanders of those armies. And this is what David does here in what's recorded in Second Samuel. And so that's what David says here, the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Yasher. Um, so what you have is something inspired, and you have a poetic collection of wars. Great men were commemorated. And so David writes a psalm in the very same fashion. It says, Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How I have the mighty fallen. The beauty would be the king, Saul, Jonathan. Look at the beauty there. Just, you know, the nation of Israel in itself, but there are these mighty who have fallen, really. He's really given a commemoration of the leaders uh, being Saul, Jonathan. But I also think that, you know, because these guys were leaders, so they represented the nation, so the nation of Israel, and Israel has the glory of God, so by Saul and Jonathan dying, you know, the beauty of, what does it say, um, O Israel, lies your mighty, how the mighty have fallen. Where does it say beauty? Your beauty, O Israel. Verse 19, there you go. Right. That says your glory, O Israel. Very, very good. Yeah, see, that's very why. Good. Yes. Is your glory in very good. Very much related. They're supposed to be representing God. And with them now being slain and the Israel's defeated, right. you know, God's glory or the beauty of Israel, which is supposed to be, you know, thriving. Right, he worked through them, didn't he? Yeah, That's now they're dead. So it's like Israel kind of maybe just looks dull at this moment. Exactly. It's, and it's a sad moment. Right. But you look at David here and what he is doing. He not only restrains himself from speaking bad of the dead king, 
actually honors him. And of course, Jonathan, we know that why he would do that with, with him, but there were heroes that, in the way that he words it here. There were heroes and they're worthy of respect and honor. This is baffling. All that Saul tried to do to David, and here he is, and because what he's doing, he's looking at God, really, and the beauty of God, and still extending it, even to this man that had treated him so much in an evil way. This is this goes beyond, uh, because we're thinking, what are you doing, David? You're giving yourself up here. This is love. Even for an enemy, he still has love. Boy, I, that's just incredible. There is no rejoicing here at all over fallen Israel. Definitely over fallen Saul. No joy over it all. And he doesn't want to see <coughs> even the uh, Philistines to rejoice over this. Although you know that they already kind of have done that. As, you know, they had, of course, what, what, they put him up, hung him up on the wall, right? Head had been cut off. There was no glory in that, in that sense. But David is coming forth here of how, what he thinks of the position that God had put forth there. There's not even a hint of the mention of evil or unkind things that Saul had done. It would have been easy for David to put forth all the bad things that had gone down here, you know. So he's eulogizing, he's making a eulogy here of a hero. That kind of reminds you when you go to funerals and people sometimes, pastors lie. And they will tell how good a certain person is and they'll just go on and on. And everybody in that room knows exactly how wicked and bad that particular person really was. I'm talking about somebody who's really, nobody knows, would say that they're a believer and that they were, you know, were a Christian. All of a sudden, this sinner becomes a saint in, at a funeral. <laughs> how many times have you heard that? And you go... That is not true at all. And you know everybody else in that room is going, you don't know him like we do. You know, now, and I'm talking about somebody obvious. Now, you know, God works through Christians and, and it is good to say things that God has done through that person. We still don't put that person on a pedestal to be worshipped, but it is. there are certain times saying look what God has done and how He's touched us and, and, and saying it in truth. Otherwise, if it's not true, don't even say anything. Don't say bad something bad because that's not going to go over too good either. But you, you know what I've always told was, hey, listen, if they weren't, weren't believers, uh, preach the Gospel. I go, that's exactly right. Preach the Gospel. You don't have to say anything bad. If there's nothing good to say, you don't have to say that either. You have to mention you know. whether spiritual condition is that if you don't know. Yeah, and if you don't know. But it would have been easy for David to do that. Well, he doesn't at all. He does the opposite. And he uh, really uh, he expresses covenant love with Jonathan here. 
And we've seen the covenant when it was made and when it was implemented there and put in action and then it was extended. Then it was reaffirmed. Remember, they almost every time you see David and Jonathan together, they're extending on to that covenant between them. And they really meant that. So David is already blessing Jonathan and his descendants as he eulogizes here him as a hero. And... His memory was to be honored. So that's really the idea of this song as he puts it in a very poetic way and David being the writer that he is and putting words together that are really tremendous and you can imagine what they would have been in the Hebrew where it would be flowing. And uh, so that that's the idea. But, uh, you know... The lessons for this, I got them down there at the bottom of your outline. I just want to point out, three times he says, how have the mighty fallen? You know, I've heard that expression all my life. I didn't know. Guess it came from there, didn't it? Yeah. The mighty fallen. So what's he calling Saul? Mighty. The mighty one. Yes. Fallen. Well, and I mean, he just, he just, stronger, stronger than lions. Swifter than eagles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, very poetic, and it de- definitely comes out in such a way. Yeah, that's that's tremendous writing that he puts forth. It just like it comes to life, you know. We could, we could pick this apart and just really just kind of drool over each verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful. It's something that you might want to just take home and just read over. It's uh, it's a song. I do like it's a song. How twenty three says. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? when you kind of look at how Jonathan was kind of always there with Saul, right? And you know, even at the dinner table when David almost got pegged, <laughs> you know, and it just seemed like the two of them were always. We talked about that before. It was mysterious why Jonathan didn't leave and follow yeah. David, but he always he went just, back to Saul. Yeah, he was always by his father's side and yep. even yep. in death you know that Jonathan was there yep. and they, they died uh, together this is my take on this is my take on I think we read what we read but we never met the man Right. Mm. David met the man early on mm. he knows his soul when you meet somebody and you get to know them you know their soul you know them in and out and I believe that David knew that those fits and whatever kind of paranoia or whatever came across Saul was not Saul. Right. Was not the Saul that he knows. It's like one of our parents or somebody getting dementia and turning violent and, right. and completely different. But then they would be lucid sometimes. It's a sad thing. And you, you don't look, stop loving them. You mm-hmm. don't stop right. loving them. Right. Even when, and then when they die, you can talk about the good things because you know that person's soul. Right. Now, maybe we don't know whether Saul actually went to, I actually think he did. Because I think there's too many of us now, who's, or too many people that we know whose lives are cut short, either from bad decisions or because God takes them away. And we're just not sure whether they're in heaven or hell. But we do know that God will do what's right. Mm-hmm. I can say that about people that I, I've known. 
I don't know. I don't know. And I and I wonder about it. But I have to let it go because I know that God will do the right thing. He has done the right thing, and that person is that way for a reason. That's my take on it. David knew them. Well, you remember when David first met Saul? He came out of the fields. He was introduced, and he was told he was to sue him and stuff like that. So, yeah, he did have a respectful as a father, and I guess being Jonathan's father, too, and how much he loved Jonathan, that those attributes probably bled over into the father and the son and stuff like that, yeah. Well, you know, um, <coughs> David never, ever regrets what he what he himself did through all this and said. There is nothing to regret. And boy, I, I admire that. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, this, is, this is amazing. It's, it's, you know, just reading this and things he could have thought or said, but yet he lifts it high. What's that? Or done. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, that's, that's, that's amazing. He has nothing to regret. So David trusts, I think, first of all, in the God who he serves. He trusts in God all the way through because he knew that God gave him that position and God is the one that's going to take him and him out of that position. And that is, boy, that's a, that's a deep faith to do that, isn't it? I believe, secondly, David seems to have already dealt with Saul's sins against him by what? Forgiving him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Stay away. Stay away. But yeah, yeah, he he made sure that he got out of his presence. That's pretty smart to do. Yeah. But yet he still forgave him. <laughs> that, but only that kind of forgiveness can come from the Lord. I don't think that can come from anybody working it up. That's a powerful thing, forgiveness is. And I think that's a picture of the forgiveness that God has given us. And I think that's one reason why David is such a type of Christ, you know, being the king. And yet, look at how forgiving that he is. Forgave Saul. He didn't go back in his presence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He used his intelligence yeah. there. You can forgive yeah. people, but you know, <laughs> still keep your distance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. And and well, we need to keep that in mind. You know. Yes. <laughs> for our own selves. He gives us wisdom too. <laughs> we have forgiveness, and also an attribute of God is wisdom. <laughs> exactly. Thirdly, David thinks more highly of Saul than I do. He knows, first of all, that position is what God put forth. But he knows Saul more than I do. And like what you're pointing out there, Audrey. And he th thinks much more highly than we have probably through all of our lives, or at least me. But yet at the same time, you know, and like we can put ourselves in there like what, what you've said many times there, Vel, that you could see, hey, here's parts of me, what Saul did, you know. Yeah. It's not something that we'd be proud of. But right. we're saying, hey, I can understand where he's at. We all can because we've all 
failed and come quite short, but I think we might have a different view more of it than we did before we got into 1 Samuel in that study. Uh, not knowing at all, you know, and I know that we've got some pretty bad thoughts on Saul, which we should. I mean, we, we're not going to honor those acts that he did and murder and just just some you know evil things. But at the same time, David is still, right at the end here, is putting this through as just in its truth. Fourthly, David illustrates his obedience to a very important command expressed clearly in Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is great for all of us. And this verse can you can use a lot, folks. Use it all the time. Philippians 4, 8. What does it say? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Wow. I think that lesson right there could sum up our study of Saul and 1 Samuel. David did that as he wrote this psalm. Wow. That's what it says. That's a command there in Philippians 4.8. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, the whole law hinges. Wow, I think David practiced that, didn't he? We are to love people that don't love us. He and Jesus said, love your enemies. Boy, it's... I was just thinking, it said, love your neighbors yourself, and I hardly talk to my neighbors, but I talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, who are my neighbors, right? Exactly. Who are my neighbors? We start right here, don't we? <laughs> yeah. We're all on each other's side. Our enemies may not agree with what we believe in as far as God is concerned, but we still would love to see them saved, wouldn't we? Whether they happen to be across the street, next door to us, whether they be at the White House. That's a little tough there, there, Penny. I'd be drawing a line now. But you know what? That is right. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could God do that? That would be one of the greatest miracles. Oh, man. Yeah, but he yeah. took me and did this. Don't be a Jonah, oh, yeah. right? That's right. We, we pray for them because the Bible says to pray for your leaders. And you could put our president that we have right now almost in the same boat as like a Saul in a way. Or you may not. But if you do... And yet, we have that tendency to do because we, we don't like the unrighteousness that's involved, we know. But yet, if we pray for them that God would steer them into the right way, boy, wouldn't the glory of God be seen? But, he is using but His glory is always he, there. He is doing what He wants to do because yeah. that's why they're there. And so at the same time, it's like, how, do we, how can we lose? He's using Him either way. And that's what we've seen throughout Scripture too. Lastly, fifthly, David thinks of Saul in terms of his office 
and honors Him in that light. Because God established the office even though it really shouldn't have happened. But God, because of the people's stubbornness, gave it to them. And we see that I hope they learned a lesson. (laughs) Maybe not. But at the same time, God is their king. And then He shows, well, here's what a king really is. And He gives them David. And we see the Boy, the, the loving forgiveness of David there in, in that and the honor and the dignity that is put forth. And it was all because of God set this thing up and it was part of His plan. So, interesting chapter that is, isn't it? Well, we will be looking at the life of David now as it really uh, extends on. We've been looking at that as we looked at Saul, but now his life comes forth in a very brilliant way. Just as we look out there and see dark blue clouds and the sun shining through and hitting the flowers in that room over there, they look like they're all lit up. Anyway, let's pray. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word, Your truth, Your guidance. And uh, Lord, sometimes You get us where we weren't even thinking uh, like You. And that's what You want us to do, though, to see things the way that You do. We see the things that David was thinking and we know it's right. And whatever is lovely, whatever is pure and true, let us think on these things. Help us, Lord, to go there and to be obedient to that command. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for coming out tonight.